This is what's commonly known as a big inside voice. <laughs> <laughs> just introduce us again. It yeah. just felt like we were yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the cheerfully young, wildly hip, and gracefully lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, joined by Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and Olga Segura. Hey, guys. So subdued, Zach. I know. Yeah. It's really unlike Did you. Did you just get in trouble for screaming into the microphone? <laughs> yes. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Um, it's a I short didn't get week. you guys sick or you anything. You got me sick. <laughs> yes, Ashley. I've been coughing all day today. I'm sorry. I'm Actually, sorry. I'm sick as far as much as my demeanor <laughs> reveals it's, otherwise. It's why right. you're so subdued. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to power through this episode and then Zach will go sleep. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> um, but before you sleep, you have to drink something, Zach. And what are what's on tap? <laughs> oh, yes. We are today drinking Bekorovka. Bekorovka, in case that's deemed too offensive in the original, in the edits, <laughs> my Soviet impression. Uh, we are drinking Bekorovka, which our engineer, Colleen, decided to bring in for us because she, uh, when she was studying abroad, uh, was friends with this priest who was like, you have to try this drink. And it's a Czech after dinner digestif. So yeah. cheers. So cheers. Yep, I haven't had any yet. Sure, <laughs> Zach. Mm. Oh. Cinnamony, yeah, no, it tastes like Christmas. I, yeah, I feel like we were. It's a secret. It's a secret <laughs> it's like uh, recipe. Secret. Yeah. We tried looking up what's mm-hmm. in it. We don't know, but it's like liquid big red. Yeah, like more classy Jägermeister. Mm. I'm gonna come Ooh. down. On that. Yeah, yeah. So if you're not looking to do Jäger bombs anymore, you're looking to come out of that phase in your life. Check out Bekarovka. All right, and who's our guest, Olga? Today we're chatting with Alex Nava, who's the author of In Search of Soul, Hip-Hop, Literature, and Religion. And he's also a professor at the University of Arizona, where he focuses on the power of rap music for African-American and Latinx communities. So we'll be chatting with him about two of my favorite things, hip-hop, music, and religion. Ah, excellent. Mm -hmm. And then after, we've got our Consolations and Desolations, a part of the show where we get real vulnerable and tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. Excellent. But now it's Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Zach, tell us about this Czech story. This what story? Czech story. There you go. (laughs) Oh my lord. Um, So... Story coming out of the Czech Republic. The Catholic Church is branching out into forestry, and that is a pun. Um, <laughs> so basically, the church had its land seized under communism in the Czech Republic. And in 2012, they were awarded 140,000 hectares of woodland, $4 billion worth of property, making them the country's largest landowner. Wow. So hmm. very interesting. And so now that they have all this land and cash, they're looking at new ways of ensuring their long-term financial stability. And so one of those ways is getting into the lumberjacking forestry industry. Mm. And this also sort of relates to- Yeah, last week's Last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is the church doing with its land, land holdings, holdings in order to, yes. Um, other Besides forestry, the church is also interested in brewing because the Czech Republic is the world's top beer drinking consumption per capita oh, country. Wow! In the world. Wow! I did you not know that. So there are there are a handful of church run microbreweries. Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Which yes. brings us to our next story, right? Indeed. <laughs> uh, there are a group of monks in Italy, in the region of Norcia, Norcia Italia, mm-hmm. um, that was hit by a devastating earthquake. Yeah, I remember last hearing year. about that. And so right now, there are a group of Benedictine monks who are 
coming up with some brews and they're trying to rebuild the monastery in the town with quite literally their own beer money. Nice. Wow. Which for me, I, I tweeted this earlier in the week, but this is the definition of a signs of the times story <laughs> yeah. for Jesuitical, right? Like monks <laughs> brewing beer to pay for a damaged monastery. Yeah. Doesn't get any better than that. And it's it was picked up by NPR. Speaking of perfect SOT stories for Jesuitical, yeah, really? Sister Maria Valentina will be performing for Pope Francis while he's in Colombia this week. But it's not the usual performance. She's going to be rapping since she moonlights <laughs> as a rapper. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's bad. I'm going to say it. Oh. She's not good. Aww. Yeah, I mean, we're not. She's not but Kendrick she's Lamar or Chance, but she's got spirit and she's a nun who raps. Like, this is this is just so perfect. I know. Uh, yeah. Yes. So Pope Francis is going to Colombia mm-hmm. this week, uh, September 6th to the 11th. Colombia has just uh, reached a peace deal after a more than 50-year civil war, one of the longest-running mm-hmm. conflicts in the world. Uh, so he's going there to show his support for uh, for peace. Uh, he was flying there today and asked for everyone's prayers for continued peace in that country. Yeah, and if you're interested in what the Pope is doing in Colombia, check out our Vatican correspondent on yes. Twitter, Jerry O'Connell. And so America will have stuff all week. Yeah. So. Yes, we will. Um, this seems like another made-for-SOT <laughs> story. Uh, <laughs> a man had a a man and his fiance had a private audience with Pope Francis last week. Mm-hmm. And right when they were, like, shaking hands, exchanging gifts with Pope Francis, he dropped on one knee and proposed to her yeah and she was flabbergasted she was yeah. pope francis she, actually had to tell her like hey you have to answer the question of which she of course said yes but yeah. how, do, <laughs> how do you get better than this like your proposal already involved pope francis what's yeah. the point of even having a wedding okay that's true but also you can't say no in that situation so or it's kind you? of like you, you can. can't can you you absolutely can and <laughs> in fact one of my favorite things to do and this is probably building up a ton of like terrible karma um, is to go on YouTube and search failed proposals. Oh Lord. Why? <laughs> that is so, I've, I've seen a few and they're so cringeworthy. I don't know how you can enjoy just watching them again. And I think again they're again. hilarious. Cause oh. like, <laughs> how are they hilarious? Cause they're one, they're always in sports arenas. Yeah. Not True. always. A lot of the times they're in sports arenas. And so it's kind of like, why? Um, two, if you're going to do a huge public thing like that, you should know. Yeah. It yeah. should not be. You should be 100% sure that your significant other is on board because this is embarrassing. Or are you only doing it because you think it's the only way they'll say yes? Like yeah. you're f- cornering them, so to speak. <laughs> um, but in in conclusion, heartbreak is hilarious. Yeah. No. Zach, <laughs> oh, my God. Do not throw that out into the universe. Um, after my brother proposed to his a uh, girlfriend during the total eclipse of the sun in front of all of my aunts and uncles. <laughs> but what if what if she would have said <laughs> I'm no? I'm gonna have to defend the public. Proposal. But, but wait, what if she would have said no and you were filming it? Would you have posted it on YouTube? No, but I think that I think that's different. Like family versus an entire sports arena. Right. Yes. All right. Next Pope Francis story. <laughs> um, in a new book length interview with 430 something pages, <laughs> a very, very long book interview with a uh, French intellectual. Pope Francis talks about how um, in his years as a Jesuit in Buenos Aires, he consulted a psychoanalyst um, for, you know, just like 
what anyone goes to a therapist for. He right, thought right. he needed some professional help. Right. Yeah, and this was like really refreshing to see. Yeah. To see like, uh, I mean, we've had some stories in America about Catholics going to therapy that have mm-hmm. really resonated with people because sometimes I think it's seen as like a failure or yeah. Yeah. like, why don't you just go to confession? Yeah, mm-hmm. and to see someone not not only like, a high up Catholic, but of that generation where mm-hmm. it was even less accepted than it is now yeah. is, I think, a very important witness to have from the Pope. From the freaking Pope. <laughs> from the Pope. Yes. And you had a really, what was your tweet about this? <laughs> oh, yeah, you did have a really good tweet about this. Um, okay, so in the same interview, Pope Francis talks about the different influences in his life in Argentina, and he talks about not only um, his mom, of course, who is a strong influence, and his uh, his therapist who happened to be Jewish, but also a communist woman who was the founder of the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, uh, mothers whose children had been disappeared or killed in the dirty war in Argentina. Um, So yes, my tweet was, behind every pope is a powerful mother, a Jewish therapist, (laughs) and a communist woman. Not bad. (laughs) But Pope Francis was surprisingly not the biggest news of this week, despite his uh, trip to Colombia. That title goes to Donald Trump. (laughs) Unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly, I guess. (sighs) Um, So this week he announced his, or Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the decision to end DACA uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals that protected um, undocumented immigrants who were brought to this country as children. And people like our second guest of the show, mm-hmm. Jorge Corona. Yes. Um, some context for this. Uh, the law was going to be challenged by 10 attor- state attorney generals. Um, the deadline they gave the president was September 5th. Um, it was going to expire in March of 2018. Trump decided to end it before then and basically said, Congress, the ball is in your court. If you want these people to be protected, then you need to pass legislation like the DREAM Act. Mm-hmm. Seemed like a shoot the hostage situation to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you what don't, do you mean by that? Uh, so it's going to expire in six months, which then, you know, hundreds <laughs> of thousands of people, of people are going to be eligible for deportation mm-hmm. who have given, who have willingly surrendered mm-hmm. their information to the government. Um, and the Catholic response, as as expected, has been pretty swift and um, explicit. Uh, Father Tim Kosicki, who was the president of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, came out with a really powerful letter where he wrote, While you and the estimated 750,000 among you are called dreamers, you have helped us dream too. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of, they feel really uncertain, but it's good, as always, to see this kind of response. And I don't know what else we can do right now except kind of, Pray and hope for the best following this. Yeah, and hope and, that, that and, or pray and pressure Congress. Pray to do pressure, their job. yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. All the call and, our local representatives, and, and all of the church has been like very unified in mm-hmm. in in this condemnation. Our Michael Lachlan pointed out that both the president, vice president of the bishops' conference, and all of the committee heads like all signed the statement denouncing, which is a very mm-hmm. forceful and rare. Uh, denunciation of a political move and so hopefully you know you see you have catholic university presidents speaking out against this um so hopefully this is a chance for the church to reach across partisan lines and really stand up for these 800,000 kids who brought here when they were kids and in Mm -hmm. many cases are still kids yeah and who are americans you know their Mm -hmm. lives have been formed here yep
So we're pleased to welcome Alex Nava, author of In Search of Soul, Hip Hop, Literature, and Religion. Welcome to Jesuitical, Alex. Thanks. I'm excited to be with you. Yeah, we're very excited to talk to you. So first question, what was the first hip hop album you listened to? (laughs) I remember when um, Rapper's Delight came out. Um, and I just remember the... And, who, and who, who's who's the artist on that <laughs> album? <laughs> for asking that for a friend? The, <laughs> I was just nodding along like, mm-hmm, right? <laughs> famous Sugar Hill Gang. Right. <laughs> and uh, Rapper's Delight was just the first commercial success and had an amazing reach, um, became very successful around the world, actually, and yeah, Ashley, you've definitely really, heard it. No, it's it's like a wedding. I know. I was just helping the <laughs> listeners out. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I had an immediate fascination and love of the spoken word, the way in which the rhythms, the rhymes coming off the rapper's tongues was, was almost immediately, you know, intriguing. And But I would say that when I was in school and college in um, the 90s, I started to really pay attention more to the narratives, to the stories. I was in Chicago for, for, for school and I was, the University of Chicago is on the South side. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the time it was like kind of the heyday of, of rap and you had all of these extraordinary artists. Tupac and Nas and Wu-Tang and um, a lot of the classic figures. And in many ways, what really struck me is that I found a lot of what they were saying really relevant to the world in which I was living. And and I don't want to make it out like I was in a total hood because the University of Chicago. Chicago? I was studying religion. And so, yeah, what were were the connections you saw between between that music and, and what was going on in the streets of the South Side and what you were studying. In- yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I, I, I always remember this one class. I had a sociology class and it was interesting and I love learning. So, but they were talking about like, we we're reading Max Weber and Tocqueville and Marx and, and it was very, very abstract. And I felt like in many ways, my education was missing something about the world that was just a stone's throw away from the University of Chicago. In other words, they were completely ignoring some of the struggles of ghetto life um, around the university. And this was a class on sociology. So I guess what I felt is that this, the genre of rap has more educational potential than the great University of Chicago. (laughs) And I mean, I, in many ways, the experience at the UC was amazing. And for a first generation kid, like my parents didn't go to college. And so it was just like, wow, this is like a feast of ideas. And, and I loved it. But I also recognized that there are limitations to academic discourse, to academic world. Um, a lot of times it really, they start, you know, they have conversations with each other and they don't, really don't reach um, a lot of times beyond the walls of the university. Now, you actually, you, you took hip hop and brought it into the classroom, right? Like you, because you, you started teaching a yeah. course on this, right? Can you talk a little bit about the backstory behind yeah. getting that started? So when I got my first job at the University of Arizona, I was like, there's classes on rock and roll. There's classes on jazz. Nobody is doing anything on hip hop. So 
I created a class. It's now been more than 10 years. Um, you know, at first I had a hard time convincing them uh, that it was worth studying. And, and now, you know, there are now hundreds of classes in major universities um, dealing with hip hop. So it's really been kind of an explosive growth in, in, in the area of uh, hip hop studies. But that's interesting to me because I think I grew up surrounded by hip hop music and it was always intertwined with my faith life, the faith life of the people around me. So why do you think so many people see these two things <clears throat> as being at odds with each other? Yeah, that's really interesting that you, um, even at an early age, just saw them as um, interconnected. Shout out you to know, the Bronx. I mean, it's because I'm from the Bronx. I'm from its birthplace. So it's, it's, it's easier <laughs> for me. You're from the Bronx. I was wondering how long we would get into this conversation <laughs> before Olga would point that, that out. totally I am throwing up my ex symbols right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the issue about like the conflict between religion, I mean, on the one hand, I actually think, of course, there are points in which there are clear conflicts. And, you know, I mean, in some of the worst aspects of hip hop, you have like this glorification of materialism and, and not just materialism, but like hedonism where pleasure is the ultimate value. Would you say the same thing of violence in, in hip hop? Exactly. To me, that's like one of the most disturbing aspects is, you know, um, at times when the rise of so-called uh, gangster hip hop became really started like talking about um guns and weapons and and murder in very kind of casual ways and i mean again this was a time when a lot of this was very real of what was happening in parts of urban america where you know it was uh, there was amazing uh you know upsurges in violence and so in many ways it's on the one hand they were like expressing as almost like a reporter would do of kind of reporting on what was happening in their world. But the other times there, there definitely was some romanticizing of the, the gangster image. So anyway, that there's clearly are. And then of course, as you've heard that like sexism. And so I, yeah, I mean, there are points of obviously conflict and contradiction and, but what, so what are the, what are the, what would you convince someone like to maybe not ignore that, but, even recognizing that, why should hip hop be taken seriously, and especially with conversations of religion? So I think the vision that Jesus had of um, compassion for the poor and for the marginalized, for the outcast, I don't think it's like an option if you're Christian, but I think it's absolutely incumbent upon us. It's one of the fundamental tenets of Christian beliefs to respond with um, concern for on behalf of the neglected and the, the deprived. And I think at its very best, hip hop does, in fact, try to represent and speak on behalf of those in the margins of American life. I agree. I think that you have a point like there are there are very there are many aspects of hip hop that are problematic. But there is also it's also very heavily infused with Christian themes. I mean, Jay-Z's first album, he has a song called The Evils, where he's literally talking to God yeah. and talking about the struggles that he's going through, you know? Um, Eric Bean Rakim and A Tribe Called Quest, they're always talking about faith and, like, these yep. positive elements. So I think that's why, for me, I'm always like, yeah, hip-hop is very violent, but there's also this something so, so human and Christian. <laughs> exactly. Like, sure. there are so many things that, like, I see in the Bible that I've seen in hip-hop lyrics, you know? 
Yeah. You know what? The best artists, they uh, are, in fact, themselves criticizing. So, so there's like internal criticism in hip hop of like some of the, the materialistic tendencies mm-hmm. or the sexism. You have that in great artists the famous line from Jesus, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Kendrick Lamar he has that remarkable song about how much a dollar costs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's on uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. Right. And it's this amazing like story. He is speaking somewhat autobiographically. Is like he's as the wealthy rapper in a nice car and mm-hmm. he encounters this homeless person. And he's having this conversation with this homeless person. And the first temptation, like all of us have, is to, you know, kind of judge and um, criticize and find a a reason for to kind of blame his own situation. Um, And he has this conversation with him. And in fact, he says that, you, you you know, he smells like moonshine and gin. You're babbling. and then it's like, as it, the song goes on, at the end, there's this like extraordinary revelation that he, this homeless person speaks to him. And he says, have you ever opened up Exodus 14? And then the next line is a humble man is all we ever need. Mm-hmm. Um, so Exodus 14 is like the story of the Israelites fleeing slavery um, and when the Pharaoh and the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart and everything. So I take it as like, you know, the Pharaoh there clearly represents like a figure of extraordinary arrogance and power. At the end, he, he actually says where it's really crystal clear that the homeless person says, you're looking at the Messiah. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's kind of this idea that God or Jesus appears in the face of the poor and the vulnerable and the homeless. And that is straight out of Matthew 25. Like I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So I think that that song is a meditation on a passage like that. And it really captures the the spirit of the scriptures. It was also Obama's favorite song in 2015. So our final question for you is, if you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be? And I hope it's someone. Oh I won't lead you, but I hope it's hip-hop related. <laughs> but I won't judge you if it's not. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I have to choose Tupac. <laughs> okay. I mean, I just think that, I think Tupac was very much like a Job figure, the book nice. of Job. Wow, he, was, okay. he was wrestling with, with God in light of, of human suffering. And um, he was a brooding, troubled artist. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, uh, and they don't all have to be, I think somebody like Chance the Rapper, I mean, who is more positive and optimistic and, you know, joyful. We need that too. We need both. Right, right. We need both sides. But, um, but yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go with Tupac. Great. <laughs> great. I, 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 we approve. We approve. So Alex, thank you so much for talking to us. And if people want to find your new book in search of soul, hip hop, literature, and religion, where can they find this? Besides Amazon. Um, Besides Amazon, right. Amazon, <laughs> or your or other you work. Or you can go directly to the University of California Press. Got it. Great. Thanks so much for talking with us, Alex. This has been fun. All right. Thanks, you guys. It was great, great talking. All righty. Bye. Bye. Bye.
All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. Uh, we put out a Twitter poll this week in light of the public proposal in front of Pope Francis and asked, would you like to propose slash be proposed to in public? And we got some responses. We did. Allison said, as long as family and friends are included and it's not just a bunch of random passerbys, then yeah, sure. Uh, Jake wrote in, I propose on the slope and among the grapes of a vineyard in VA. Enjoy your moment because it vanishes so quickly. Private in a public place. And Kendall Reese said, absolutely not. (laughs) Roberto said, nope, I only wanted me and Sarah there. I'm assuming that's his now wife or fiance. Uh, It feels weird to have other people there, even if you already know the answer. Yeah, and John wrote in, I did, but I waited until no one was looking in our direction. So yes and no. And then... My, That's a bit, uh, yeah. This was a, an important question. Anthony said, it depends on the location. I'm thinking about doing it in nature. So I think one should qualify what public means. Oh, yeah, I mean like people around. It's right? very personist of you. Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> I want deers all around me. <laughs> and I get proposed to. Do you want public? Public or not? Olga? Um, pu- no, public only like my family can be there, but definitely not strangers. Right. It's weird. Ashley? Uh, fiance and... Animals. Fiance and animals. <laughs> I'm going to say undecided. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of the show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. Basically, we're trying to be Catholic. <laughs> Pretty here, much. And we're hard. here to tell you guys about it. <laughs> Pretty much. We should just rename that yes. this section. All right, Zach. How did you try to be Catholic this week? Well, <laughs> I took up a corporal work of mercy. Uh, oh, really? oh, yeah. So uh, me and my girlfriend, Amanda, were planning on going away for the long weekend. Not anywhere like crazy or anything because um, we made plans late. But hopefully upstate somewhere. I don't know. But Amanda got sick. And so basically ended up doing not a lot. And I took on the role of uh, medicine getter and food cooker and drink changer router. Um and so the reason I brought this as my consolation, one, you know, caring for the sick, caring for someone that's ill, I think it's something a lot of people can relate to. Um, I'm looking forward to being cared for here in a little bit because I'm about to, <laughs> now, I am now sick. Um, but also like, yes, plans were canceled, but it also made me realize that being in that role and just doing nothing but being around her, yeah. um, I like her. And yeah. that- The plans Aww. were, the, the yeah. place you were going was- you know, just to be with her. Right. So you were with her anyways. So (laughs) feeling connected to her despite, you know, what seemed like bad circumstances Mm -hmm. was my consolation. That's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Ashley? Um, So I have a desolation this week and I feel like I've had, I was looking back on our episodes and I've had like consolations for the past six weeks. So I didn't want people to get the idea (laughs) that everything's great. (laughs) Everything's great because it's not. It's just a lot easier to talk about the great things. Right, right. That's so true. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so this weekend I I went down to uh, Arlington, which I still call home, which is part of the desolation, I guess. Um, And coming back on the bus, I like my dad drove me to the bus back to New York and we had a really heartfelt conversation, which is a rarity for McKinless's. We don't like talking about our feelings. But car rides. Yeah, car rides. (laughs) Brings it out in people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got on the bus and the girl next to me, I feel sorry for her because I was just like crying the entire bus ride back. Oh, Lord. And it was just like... I never got homesick in college because, like, it was four years. I knew I'd be coming back. But mm-hmm. now I'm about to reach four years in New York, and I don't know when I'm going back because mm-hmm. I, I 
So there's plenty of consolations that I have in New York. I love mm -hmm. my job. I love my roommates and all these things. But then it's also like I miss having the like security and safety and just like assured love of being with mm -hmm. my family. Yeah. And I felt that very strongly this past mm -hmm. Labor Day weekend and then leaving it was harder this time than usual. Um, and so that was, so the, I guess the desolation was like feeling kind of exposed, like, like alone in, mm -hmm. in New York and uncertain about like how long that's going to last. Right. If, you know, if I'm supposed to go back to those roots or if I should plant new roots here. Um, so that was, that was the desolation. Mm. So yeah. What about you, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. Speaking of proposals, um, mm -hmm. all of our sections have just flowed <laughs> from one to another. Um, one of my best friends who I've known since I started at Fordham 10 years ago proposed to his girlfriend last Friday. Um, and I've just like been with him since the start of this relationship to the planning. He took her to the Cayman Islands. He was so nervous that he threw up while they were in the beach and she was like what's wrong with you and he had this fine. yeah he had like this whole speech plan he threw up in the water got out and was like uh i love you you made me the happiest man ever will you marry me and she said yes and he facetimed me and told me all of these things um and it was just i don't like for me this is hella corny um i'm aware of this uh but for me, just like seeing God in love has just been something that's like in my own relationship and my relationship with my family, even like in us doing this podcast, yeah. like that is just such a concrete sign of God's presence. And then just experiencing two people who it's not just puppy love, like they got together when they were like 22 and mm -hmm. then seeing them become these adults who are going to build a future together. Um, that was just really consoling for me. And I'm a romantic. So yeah. um, were there were there people around when he was? Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently there were other people on, not that he wanted, he's very private, yeah. um, but the only other person involved was his dog, who was actually the one animals. who, animals. and animals, oh, so he checked off all of the McKinley's <laughs> necessities, um, but yeah, it was just super consoling, because it wasn't about me, um, it was just about this person, these two people, um, and I just see God in relationships, and I, you know, I love both of them, and I'm so happy to see them start their life together. Corny. Thank you. <laughs> wasn't... Your consolation last week, your brother getting proposing. So I'm due for someone to yeah. get engaged in my life. Yeah, mm -hmm. listeners, listeners, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. If you want to publicly propose to your significant other on Twitter, it'll make us tag Jesuitical, tag Jesuitical, <laughs> include us, and it'll be our consolation. If you want us, if you want us to be there, yeah, we would love a Jesuitical couple. Oh yeah, if totally. We could MC your wedding. Honestly, just gonna put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and with that, we will wrap up. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Bondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult supervision provided by Sam Sawyer, SJ. Engineering by Colleen Dully. Adverbs by Rachel Carey. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli, and you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. This week, two new reviews from AMK864 and Anna Marquez. I wonder who that is. Mm, but I will point out that AMK said, plus listening to Zach sing always makes me giggle. All right. Well, everything makes me giggle. So that's not high praise. Easy. It, it sounded like it was high praise. <laughs>
you don't think are, were you not suspicious that AMK was me oh. Ashley Mick <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> and send us your questions feedback cocktail recipes and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org for American Media I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura we'll see you next week <laughs>